It's time, D-Heads. Disney Blue presents Disney On Demand. Every week, Disney Blue lets you relive the magic, the movies, and the memories with celebrity guests, the best of classic Disney, and breaking news on Disney's latest. So put on your ears and give it a little bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. Disney Blue's Disney On Demand is on the air! Now, here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. All right, all of you Disney fans, you tuned in for another magical installment of Diz Radio and the Diz Radio Show, and happy Easter weekend. That's right, we made it through March, and all the festivities are coming up. It's spring, it's Easter, the Easter Bunny's coming to town, and so many other things. As we're officially kicking off show number 209 for the week of March 29th, 2018, and boy, are we going to have fun. That's right, as I mentioned, it is Easter. You're coloring the eggs, you're waiting for E.B., Peter Cottontail, Sonny the Rabbit, or the Easter Beagle, whichever Easter Bunny is your choosing. If you're wondering what all those are, look them up. Fantastic things to watch this weekend. But we are gearing up for somebody that is no stranger to movies, television, and of course, the simple sounds that we all hear every single day. And we have none other than somebody who you know as a sound engineer, a producer, a voice actor, as well as many other things, including a goofy movie, Brother Bear, Newsies, Aladdin, The Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, and many other things, as we have Steve Lee stopping in here this week to help us celebrate our Easter celebration. Now, Steve is going to stop in as he is a sound engineer, archivist, historian, and more, who has worked on all those movies that I mentioned, and many other things, including an official sound museum, and let's not forget an infamous scream that we all know from many other films. And Steve's going to stop in and talk about all these things, what got him into doing sound effects and being part of the movies and so much more. In addition, no show would be complete without the D-Team and you have the questions and he has the answers and he's going to deliver them along with some great colored eggs as Aaron is going to answer all your questions and I want to know. We also have Dominic who's given you those tips and tricks to make the most out of your Walt Disney World vacation when you're short on time and short on money in the short leash. We have Frank who's going into that little bit of Walt, that little bit of nostalgia with this week's Disney quote of the week. And let's not forget you're getting hungry. Our shows go a little long. It's Easter weekend, so hot ham and rolls, hard-boiled Easter eggs, uh, chocolate, peeps, you name it. Trisha and Jamie are here with Magical Munching. We have all kinds of news hot off the D-Wire and all kinds of fun. So before I jump into this week's show and kick off the Easter festivities, I do want to mention that DizRadio.com is probably sponsored by Castle and Dreams Travel. And Castle and Dreams Travel is a 100% free agency. They're going to plan, book, prepare, help you make your vacation extra magical. They're going to hold your hand, walk you through the process, and treat you like family. They have bilingual experts to help you with any language barriers that you could possibly have. And they are award-winning, and they are going to make it simple for you. So definitely check them out. Castle and Dreams Travel, the official sponsor of Diz Radio. So all VD heads, with that said, we are gearing up for a sound man himself. Somebody who listens to the sound waves, stares at them, wants to add those little nuances, and that's exactly what this show is all about. So happy Easter, and let's officially kick off show number 209 for the week of March 29, 2018, and I think I hear the Easter parade coming right now. I see flags. I hear bells, there's a parade in town. I see crowds, I hear yells, there's a sound. I hear drums in the air, I hear bells in the 
with your host, Joan London and Regis Philbin. Special guests, Dave Chappelle and Jim Brewer. Mickey and Minnie, Aladdin and Jasmine, Beauty and the Beast, The Little Mermaid, and the whole Disney gang. Catch all the Mouska fun with the TV premiere of the all-new Mickey Mania Parade. Go behind the scenes for the making of Disney's next animated feature, Pocahontas. Join Goofy and Max as they battle it out at Disney's newest water park, Blizzard Beach. Plus, all the color, fun, and fantasy of the happiest Easter parade ever. This is your friend Jimmy Dodd speaking. And this is where I'll be in person with all the Mouseketeers this Saturday. Yes, it's Disneyland, the happiest place on earth, the perfect place for your Easter vacation fun. Come out to Disneyland this Saturday and meet all Walt Disney's Mouseketeers in person. Big Mouseketeer Roy Williams will draw cartoons for you. You'll meet Annette, Cubby, Karen, Lonnie, and Bobby, and all the other Mouseketeers in person. Disneyland is Holiday Land. It's open every day from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. So we'll see you at Disneyland in person this Saturday. See, I'm an old friend of the Easter Bunny. So you come right along with me while I tell you all about it. All about it. All about it. Hey, the sun's about to come up and that means just one thing for sure. The Easter Bunny is coming to town today Here's hoping he's hippity-hopping your way So straighten your bonnets and shine up all your shoes And hurry, there's no time to lose The Easter Bunny is coming to town today He's riding an engine instead of a sleigh Don't blink for even a second or he'll be gone 
empty puffs in that quarter to dawn He'll be filling Easter baskets He'll be rolling eggs like mad Green in everything that's winter clad The Easter bunny is coming to town today Here's hoping he's hippity-hopping your way So get your brushes and paints, give him a hand It's Easter throughout all the land This is Dawn Wells, Marianne on Gilligan's Island. You are listening to Disney On Demand. Lucky you. It's Disney Blues. Disney On Demand. You hear that? It's the winds of change. Here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. All right, all VD heads, so I am back, and I hope you enjoyed the official kickoff for show number 209, our Easter show here at Diz Radio. Yes, for the week of March 29th, 2018, as we are gearing up for the man behind the sounds, the man that archives them, the man that looks at sound waves and brings the magic to life. You hear that door opening, you hear that explosion. You hear that scream. Yes, none other than Steve Lee stopping in here very shortly here at the show. We also have the D-team of Aaron, Dominic, Frank, Trisha, and Jamie all stopping in here with their signature segments. And of course, we're celebrating Easter all show long. As you've already noticed, it is Easter here at the show. Lots of fun things. The Easter Parade. Celebrating by looking for those eggs and maybe the Easter Bunny of your choice. E.B., Sonny the Rabbit. Peter Cottontail. I mean, there are so many great Easter bunnies that you, you never know which one's going Maybe it's the Easter Beagle. But no matter what, it is Easter here at the show. We're going to have fun. We have Steve Lee stopping in here and so much more. So before I jump into my ramblings, as I tend to do, I do want to give you all the different ways you can stay connected here at the show. And first and foremost, you can always visit our official website at DizRadio.com. That's D-I-Z Radio.com. There you can find our fullest of past shows, the complete podcast archives, our latest news blogs, and more right there on our official website at DizRadio.com, D-I-Z Radio. You can also connect up with us all over the social media outlets on Facebook at facebook.com slash dizradioshow. That's D-I-Z radio, S-H-O-W. You can also join our D-Wire Disney discussion group on Facebook as well. And yes, for that mental health, that physical health, you name it, you can search the Diz Ninjas and join our Diz Ninjas group as well. Become a ninja. Become a Disney warrior just by searching D-I-Z Ninjas and join that on Facebook as well. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and many other places. Just search Disney Blue, B-L-U, Diz Radio, D-I-Z Radio, or Disney On Demand, all of which are going to help you find our fun, unique, quirky, magical, different kind of Disney show. And maybe you just can't wait to hear my voice ramble inside your ears every single week. You're waiting to hear from the D-Team. You're waiting to hear from our celebrity guests every single week. All you have to do is go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio and subscribe right there. Search Disney Blue, Disney On Demand, or Diz Radio. Hit subscribe and get the latest shows as they get released on your iPhone, your Android, your tablet, the device of your choosing so you can listen to this show and get the magic instantly as soon as it gets released. And if I rambled all these way too fast here, as fast as Peter Cottontail hiding all those Easter eggs, just go to DizRadio.com and all these links are there as well. So, all of you D-heads, with that said, I mentioned that there was news. And there is news. There's a lot of great news here this week, here within the Disney community. All kinds of rumors, new things popping up. But you know what? It's Easter week. 
Why do I want to bore you with the news and me rambling and going on and on with the news, right? You've seen a lot of the different things that are already out there and so much more. So I'm not going to bore you here with the news this week. What I am going to say is happy Easter. Have a great spring break. Slow down. Take time. Never neglect family for business. Make the memories here during this time right now. Make the memories with your family, your friends, your loved ones. Eat those Cadbury eggs, those peeps, those chocolate bunnies. Remember what it was like to be a child once again. Wait for the Easter bunny to come. Search for those baskets and make the memories. Make the magic. Maybe it's a spring morning. Go out there, get some hot ham and rolls, and have a great breakfast. Just make it the best time you possibly could have. Maybe you're going to church. Maybe you're hitting up mass. Put on your Sunday finest and stroll on in there like Bean Crosby on a sunny day. Just make it awesome. So just all I'm going to say right now instead of doing news is just make it fun. Make it Easter. Make it memories. Make it full of memories. Make it full of fun. Now, all of you D-heads, next week we have some fun things going on here at the show. Next week, we are officially eight years old. That's right, Diz Radio turns officially eight years old next week on show number 210. So eight years ago, we started this crazy little venture known as Diz Radio with over 215 celebrity guests, all kinds of D-team, great kinds of fun. So what I'm doing is I'm going to call out to all of you D-heads out there. You are the reason we've been doing this show for almost eight years. So what I want is you to let us know how we should celebrate the show. Call in with your congratulations, send us an MP3, use the D-Wire hotline, you name it. Call in, contact us. If you can't find it, let us know. We want to hear from you. If you want to hear yourself on the 8th anniversary show, this is the time to do it. So call in with your well wishes, call in with your favorite moments from the show, your favorite past guests, anything at all. We want to hear from you, so definitely do that. Drop us a line, dizradio at gmail.com. That's our general mailbox, nice and easy, dizradio at gmail.com. You can also call our D-Wire hotline as well, and you can call in your voicemail. If you want to find that number, just go to dizradio.com. Find it there as well. So all of you D-heads, we're gearing up for some great sound. I love sound. I love sound effects. I love listening to movies. You guys know that. Old-time radio shows. Come on, I thrive off of those things. Many of you D-heads already know that. The great old-time radio shows. And we have Steve Lee stopping in here very shortly to talk about great sound effects, everything he's been part of, Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, Brother Bear, Aladdin, Newsies, just some great projects that he has been part of. So we have Steve Lee stopping in. We have the D-Team. Yes, you have the questions. Aaron has the answers, and I want to know. We have Dominic with the short leash, Trisha and Jamie with magical munching as well as none other than Frank with the Disney quote of the week and all kinds of fun as we're continuing on with Easter here this week here at the show. Yes, our Easter celebration, lots of fun things. Peter Cottontail delivering those eggs. So enough of me rambling. Yes, I've been going on and on. Before I let you go, I do want to mention that DizRadio.com is probably sponsored by Castle and Dreams Travel. And Castle and Dreams Travel is 100% free agency. They're going to help you plan, book, prepare, and make the most magical vacation that you could possibly have. From dining reservations, character interactions, you name it, they're going to help you through the process. They're going to hold your hand, walk you through it like you are family, make it simple, make it easy. And most of all, make it memorable. They have bilingual experts to help you with any language barriers that you could possibly have. They're award-winning and so much more. So definitely check them out. Castle and Dreams Travel, the official sponsor of Diz Radio. So all of you D-heads, with that said, I rambled on here for the last 10 minutes. Yes, no news out of me here this week, right? No news is good news with Gary Gnu. 
Let's see how many of you D-heads know that reference. So let's press on for show number 209 for the week of March 29th, 2018, as we are going to continue to celebrate Easter and so much more. Take it away, team, and the next time you hear me, I'll have none other than the sound man himself, Steve Lee, stopping in here at the show.
Going somewhere, Pop? Sure are. It's a vacation with me and my best buddy, Donald Duck. No, silly. With you. <sighs> it's goofy. Give me a big Stop goofing around. In an outrageous full-length animated feature. We'll spend some real quality time together. I think I'm going to be sick. Walt Disney Pictures presents... Come on, this is going to be fun. The story of a father who couldn't be closer. What's the spirit, Maxie? God, this is embarrassing. To driving his son crazy. This is pathetic. Now, they're getting a crash course in becoming best friends. It's Bigfoot! Could you back up a bit, Mr. Foot? Uh, you're out of focus. This spring, one of Disney's favorite classic characters lands at theaters in the most hilarious It's the Leaning Tower of Cheesa. <laughs> and hippest animated musical comedy ever. A little smoked a goofy movie. Morning, son. Dad. It's hard to be cool when your dad is goofy. You look just like I did at your age. Please don't say that, Dad. Hi, this is Bill Farmer, the voice behind the characters Goofy, Pluto, and many of your other Disney favorites. And you're listening to Disney On Demand. Questions, we have answers. Let's dip our hands into the virtual mailbag and uncover the truth in I Want to Know. Hey, D heads, this is Aaron, and it's time again for another installment of I Want to Know. Well, Easter weekend is upon us. I hope everyone gets to enjoy time with family and have some good food. And may the Easter Bunny bring you lots of goodies. 
Well, the virtual mailbag is full, so let's reach in and see what questions we have for this week. Our first question is from Rosemary Falrath of Indiana, and she writes, Diz Radio, I've been enjoying the podcast for almost two years now. Great work. With spring approaching, I was thinking of Pollyanna. Was there ever a soundtrack released for the movie? I remember hearing a Jimmy Bean song, but really don't remember it in the movie. Did Haley Mills sing it? Just something about Pollyanna makes me think of spring and flowers. Thank you from a D-head. Well, Pollyanna was released in 1960, and it's a fun movie. There was a soundtrack that accompanied the movie, however, the song you're referring to, Jimmy Bean, was sung by Haley Mills and released on her album, Let's Get Together with Haley Mills, in 1962. This album had a variety of songs on it. Some of them are Jeepers Creepers, Let's Get Together, and Jimmy Bean. It was also released in 1998 on CD and is available for digital download on Amazon. Our next question is from Phil Rothberg of Boston, MA, and he writes, was watching an old Disney Sunday night movie with Eisner introducing it. Missed those. Well, it was a movie called Not Quite Human. After looking a bit, they made three of these movies. I think I also remember seeing the first one on Disney Channel as well. Are these able to be found on DVD anywhere or streaming? Would love to find the other two and watch them. Thank you for the help, Aaron. Well, you are correct. There were three movies. Not Quite Human in 1987, Not Quite Human 2 in 1989, and Still Not Quite Human in 1992. Unfortunately, these movies were only released on VHS, but all three movies are available to watch in their entirety on YouTube. Our final question this week is from Michael Stepman of New Mexico, and he writes, Diz Radio, I have a question for I Want to Know. I remember an Easter parade on TV. My girlfriend says I'm crazy. Disney only has ever aired the Christmas parades, not other ones. Am I losing my mind or remembering something that didn't happen? But I thought it did since I was little. Hope the show can help me in this argument since it also seems on Disney boards no one has an answer for me either. You rock. Well, Michael, you win this argument. Walt Disney World Happy Easter Parade started its annual broadcast in 1985 with Joan London and Rick Dees as on-air host. Only in 1986 did the Walt Disney World Easter Parade appear as part of the CBS Easter Parade, which switched between the Walt Disney World Parade and one on Fifth Avenue in New York City. The 1988 parade was hosted by Joan London, Alan Thicke, and Regis Philbin. The telecast continued until 1999. Well, D-Heads, that concludes another installment of I Want to Know. Thanks for great questions and keep them coming. Send all your questions or comments to Aaron, E-R-I-N, at DizRadio.com. Make sure to include your name and city so I can give you credit. And remember, D-Heads, laughter is timeless, imagination has no age, and dreams are forever. We'll see you next week, D-Heads. And happy Easter. It all started with a computer chip. Operational. All right, high five, Dad. When Dr. Jonas Carson created a not-quite-human son. And he's at it again. Are you trying to tell us that you've created an android that thinks and feels? My name 
We have work to do. But someone wants the technology. You say your father's been kidnapped. That's right. And he'll do anything to get it. No one will ever guess he isn't the real Jonas Carson. Excellent. <laughs> dad, you sound weird. It's a machine. So where's my real dad? It's the case of the missing dad. What's a dad look like? You. This is just too weird. And the one computer chip that could change the world. What are you trying to do, build an army? Alan Thicke and Jay Underwood star in a megabyte comedy. Don't do that. A totally automated adventure. Still not quite human from Walt Disney Home Video. From Return to Oz, I played Ozma in the Disney sequel to The Wizard of Oz. And thank you for listening to Disney On Demand. Who let the dogs out? Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Disney Short Leash. If you're new to the segment, a short leash isn't what keeps Chewbacca from eating a porg. No, the short leash is a series of tips for people to get the most out of their Walt Disney World vacation when they're short on time or short on money. With any luck, you may be able to try some of these suggestions and quite possibly do as much, if not more, than someone vacationing with a greater amount of time or a larger budget. Happy Easter everybody, I'm back from a short leash, practically solo, work-related trip, and if you listened to the last few segments, I covered my plans for this four-day excursion. 
Now that I'm back, I can share with you what I actually did, what I didn't do, and also what part of my planning worked and what part of my planning didn't. I think the greatest thing you can do on a short lease trip is manage expectations. Someone online asked for their first Disney World trip what park they should hit since they'll only be there for two days. I said Magic Kingdom and Magic Kingdom. With two days you can really immerse yourself in that park. Depending on what time of year you may even be able to take your time. It's totally Disney, there's no side themes like movies or animals or the future of the 80s. If you're not going to be there long it's exactly what you'd want for your first time. To try to park up and do four parks in two days would just be a frustrating mess with little to show for it. You don't need to hit everything on a short trip, and even though in my four days there I was going to do all four gates, my expectations was not to do it all. Instead, it was to do the things I liked, mixed with the things I haven't done before. And going in with eyes open with this expectation in mind, I had a very enjoyable trip, even though some attractions were cut for time. So let's get into it. Plans versus reality. Day one was Animal Kingdom. I said I'd hit Pandora, the world of Avatar. The last work trip I took, it had yet to open, and the last family trip I took, I was only there for three days and we were at Epcot and Magic Kingdom the whole time, so this was completely new. I wanted to see the Na'vi drum ceremony, and I did. It was pretty cool. There's an elaborate electronic drum set built into the walkways. Tourists can hit them and make various drum sounds, but I got to see the trained cast members put on an electronic percussion show on them. The story is the Navi apparently taught the cast members how to lay down some dope beats, and now we are there to share in the cultural appropriation. Kidding aside, the cast members were awesome. The performers totally engaged the crowd trying to sell the story and bring them into the show. I did that right before we used a fast pass for the Navi River Journey. I heard it was short, which it was, and not worth the wait. I disagree there, I liked it a lot. I can see how if you stood in line for about two hours it could be not living up to the hype, but that hasn't stopped anyone from standing in line for Peter Pan. I think when the newness fades and the line becomes a more 20 minute average, no one will have a problem with this at all. I found it incredibly enjoyable, maybe too much projector animals, it's a little bit like Universal where everything's a movie, but really no problem with it at all. Two thumbs up. Later in the day I came back to stand in line for the Banshee ride, I was in line for 120 minutes which was as good as it got that day, and it was totally worth it. If you haven't done it, imagine if they took Soren and actually made it fun. Check out our WDW Plan Tunes cartoon show where I explain what Soren was actually meant to do. The original ride would spray you with orange and pine soul, which I think was just there to deodorize the tourists. Sticking with Pandora, I had one of the best meals of the trip at the cantina in the world of Avatar. My original plan was to eat at the Harambe Market, and I'm glad I called an audible. By the time we left, it was night and I got to check out the bioluminescence. It's not too bright. Expected more glow. My neighbor's Christmas display is more impressive. A little disappointed there. I did Fast Pass and Single Rider Expedition Everest, but that was it. After a retinal detachment a few months ago, I have learned to listen to my eye when it tells me enough is enough. I saw it's a tough to be a bug, and I was pleased that it had been refurbished. All the lights were working, and the large animatronic hopper made its appearance. Neither of those two things happened the last time I went. I did Primeval Whirl, or as my wife likes to call it, Primeval Hurl, but I never made it back to Dinosaur. It was also a little cool for the rapids, and I missed the Safari Pass Pass for that Pandora Cantina dinner I talked about. I was also a no-show for the shows. I didn't find Nemo or see the Lion King. The bird show wasn't happening either. I gotta say, what was once a half-day park is really becoming a one-and-a-half to a two-day park. I did do the Maharaja and Gorilla Falls jungle treks. Most of the animals were either no-shows or so far off in the distance that everybody was just happy to see the end of a tail sticking up behind a rock 70 yards away. Seriously, the bat room had a bat. Singular. Pretty weak. Perhaps you could put some animals in your animal kingdom. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. 
I took the train, which I didn't even remember existed, to Rafiki's Planet Watch for the first time in probably 13 years or so. I forgot the petting zoo was even there. I have to bring the kids next time. That goes back on the list. As planned, I did do lunch at Yak and Yeti's Express Counter Service Counterpart. But a tip for the future, if they have a special, that's what you get. My friend's got the beef tip special, and it was awesome. For the first time at night, I caught the projection show on the tree, and it was stunning. But it was almost running on top of Rivers of Light. Time-wise, after the projection show ended, I had to run the Rivers of Light, and that show was already well underway. Those two shows can use some breathing room between them. All in all, it was a great start to the trip, and after a few years, a decent re-education just how much there is to do at Animal Kingdom now. I would need another six hours or so to hit what I missed, so Animal Kingdom, which is my son's favorite park, may need to be budgeted for two days on our next long family trip to Walt Disney World. The nice thing about the short trip is you can cherry pick. Dinosaur, Kilimanjaro Safaris, the Rapids are all arguably quote-unquote better attractions than the Planet Watch or the Jungle Treks, but I've done them before and I'll be back to do them again, so taking time to see what I've never seen before or haven't seen in a while was what the day was all about and that mission was accomplished. Because accomplishing realistic goals in a short amount of time, well, that's short leash, people. I hope you enjoyed the tip. I do have an official Diz Radio email, so I'd love to hear from you with a hi. Some questions, suggestions, or even your own short leash tips at Dominic at DizRadio.com. That's D-O-M-E-N-I-C at DizRadio.com. I also can be found on the internet. On Twitter, it's at WDWPlantoons. And on YouTube or your favorite podcast apps, just search WDW Plantoons or visit Plantoons.com. Well, folks, that's it for this week. Next time, I'll report back with day two of the short leash trip. Thanks for listening. And we are back at the Walt Disney World Happy Easter Parade. And happy is right because nothing is going to get in the way of the neat stuff that's coming up, Joan. That's for sure. Let us check up, though, right now on the Easter Bunny's favorite carrot top. That would be Dady Ross. Hey, how's it going, Joan and Reese? I'm having a great time down here. Are you guys having fun, too? Good. See, we're on Main Street looking for the best place to watch the parade. What's your name, sir? Tom Miller. And where are you from? We're East New Jersey. What do you think of the parade? Great. Awesome. This little guy right here, what's your name? Ryan Miller. Ryan, what have you seen so far at the parade? Horses and little warmies. Can I have an Easter hug, buddy? Does this guy look cool or what? Let's keep going. Come on down here. How are you, everybody? Uh, let's see. What's your name? Hey. And what's your name? Ryan. Ryan, what do you think of the parade so far? Good. Just good? Yeah. I mean, this view's not bad, right? Your front row. Yeah. Okay, you know what? I like you guys. I mean, you got nice hats on. Look at that hat. That's beautiful. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to take these guys for the best seat in the house. Better than Regis and better than Jones' seat. What do you think? Okay. All right, guys. Grab my hand. Grab your parents' hand, your grandparents' hand. We are going to the best seat in the house. Back to you, Joan and Reed. Let's go. I was riding to the chapel on Easter morning. It was a bright and beautiful day. As I rode across the prairie on Easter morning, I saw the cutest Easter parade. Pretty little bunnies, 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 pretty little chickens, 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 pretty little lambs all dressed in white, made the Easter day so bright. As I rode on to the chapel on Easter morning, I knew the Lord was riding with me. 
Happy Easter to you. Happy Easter to you. Make a wish upon a bunny, and your wish will come true. Happy Easter to you. Happy Easter to you. May the Lord above spend Easter day with you. To the chapel on Easter morning, it was a bright and beautiful day. As I rode across the prairie on Easter morning, I saw the cutest Easter parade. Pretty little bunnies, 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 pretty little chickens, 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 pretty little lambs all dressed in white. Made the Easter day so bright. As I rode on to the chapel on Easter morning, I knew the Lord was riding with me. Happy Easter to you! Happy Easter to you! Make a wish upon a bunny, and your wish will come true. Happy Easter to you! Happy Easter to you! May the Lord above spend Easter day with you. I tell the city how to think. I tell the city how to vote. I shape its future. X-ray, X-ray. Publisher Joseph Pulitzer ran New York City. There's lots of money down there in those streets, gentlemen. I want to know how I can get more of it. Newsboy Jack Kelly was running from his past. You were in jail? Well, I was starving, so I stole some food. He had nothing until Pulitzer's Green charged the newsies more for their papers. They can't get away with this. Gave him something to fight for. Are we just going to take what they give us? No! Or are we going to strike? Yeah! Walt Disney Pictures presents... Pulitzer me home. An all-new musical event. Featuring seven new songs from the Academy Award-winning composer of The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. You're going up against the most powerful man in New York City. You have to fight them. I want an example, May. To those who would dare to leave. If we don't act together, then we're none. We don't stick together, we're none. I'll break you, boy. In 1899, he challenged the power of the press and discovered the power of the people. Sometimes all it takes is a voice. Strike! It becomes a hundred. And then a thousand. Christian Bale and Robert Duvall. Hey, this is Luke Edwards from Newsies, and you're listening to Disney On Demand. Hello, all you D-heads. It's time for another episode of Disney's Quote of the Week. Well, I'm back from a week's vacation down at Disney World, and let me tell you the 
construction is sheer immense. There is construction all over, whether it be in the parks, at the resorts, or on Disney proper, the property itself. Rides going in, gondolas going up, hotels being built. It is a great time to be a D-head, and it is going to be very busy over the next few years down there. But while I was down there, I did get to visit my favorite park quite often, Epcot. Now, Epcot, originally named Epcot Center, is a theme park at the Walt Disney World Resort in Florida. It is owned and operated by the Walt Disney Company through its Parks, Experiences, and Consumer Products Division. Inspired by an unrealized concept developed by Walt Disney, the park opened up on October 1, 1982, and was the second of four theme parks built at Walt Disney World, after the Magic Kingdom. Spanning 305 acres, more than twice the size of Magic Kingdom, Epcot is dedicated to the celebration of human achievement, namely technological innovation and international culture, and is often referred to as a permanent world's fair. Now, the park is divided into two sections, Future World, made up of eight pavilions, and World Showcase, themed to 11 world nations. In 2015, the park hosted about 11.98 million guests, ranking it the third most visited theme park in North America and the sixth most visited theme park in the world. The park is represented by Spaceship Earth, a geodesic sphere that also serves as an attraction. Epcot was known as Epcot Center until 1994, when it was named Epcot 94, then Epcot 95, now commonly known simply as Epcot. Now the purists, like myself, will continue to always call it Epcot Center. But with all the construction down at Disney World, all over the place, and given its sheer size, had me thinking of the 1966 Epcot promotional film. Walt Disney himself said, Here in Florida, we have something special we never enjoyed at Disneyland. The blessing of size. There's enough land here to hold all the ideas and plans we can possibly imagine. Well, D-Heads, that's all the time I have this week. Have a magical week. The world is full of magic. Winter turns to spring. Small things become big. One thing always changes into another. Walt Disney Pictures presents an all-new motion picture event. Are we there yet? Don't make me turn this formation around. You have no idea what they are. You just talked. Just back away real slow like. What's going on? What? Ah! How's it going, bear? I'm not a bear. Well, gee, eh? You're one big beaver. No kidding. I'm a man. I was transformed into a bear. Magically. A crazy. Gesundheit. Do either of you know where the lights touch the earth? Yeah, no. Uh, no. Hey, I know that place. You do? Yeah, follow me. My name's Coda. Say it with me. Coda. Tell everybody I'm on my way. And I'm loving every step I take. Oh, really? This November. Keep all that cuddly bear stuff to a minimum. Okay, kid? The truth is, I got separated from my mom. See through another's eyes. Those monsters are really scary, especially with those sticks. Feel through another's heart. Coda, don't be afraid. 
and discover the meaning of brotherhood. I always wanted a brother. Gouda! Peter, look out! Disney Pictures presents Brother Bear. Beauty, eh? Beauty. If you're only going to see one movie this year... Wait, if they're only seeing one movie a year, it's pretty much too late for this group. What? Because there's one starting in two minutes, eh? Oh, no, it's not too late. Hey, you people who are only going to see one movie a year, get out now. Go, eh? But I see some of them leaving anyway. Oh, good. Maybe they should just go into the bathroom. <laughs> Lights. Camera. Action! It's time for this week's Disney On Demand special guest! All right, all of you Disney fans, you tuned in for another magical installment of Diz Radio and the Diz Radio Show. And as we continue to bring you the magic and memories from your lifetime of Disney, whether that's television, movies, you name it, you are always getting something magical in your life. And with us here this week is somebody that is no stranger to any of that. He's been part of some of the Disney classics that you know and love, like Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King, Goofy Movie, Brother Bear, Newsies, and so much more. He's a sound designer, engineer, historian, and so much more. We have none other than Steve Lee here. Welcome to Diz Radio. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? It is our pleasure having you on. I mean, your resume continues to impress, especially because there's so many elements that you have to be part of in these films in order to bring them to life. I guess with that started, you know, all, I'm guessing you've always been a Disney fan, always loved it your whole life. How did you end up being involved with sound as a career? Well, it's interesting that, that Disney was actually a part of that very early on. I mean, I grew up uh, in, in Los Angeles, so I had the pleasure of you know being able to go to Disneyland. Uh, went every year for my birthday and sometimes more if I was lucky growing up. And uh, I, I listened to movies more than I even watched them. I would record them off the TV and that sort of thing and just listen to the soundtrack of these things. Uh, I, I grew up in Hollywood. My, my dad was a writer and a consultant for film, so I would follow him along to uh, to meetings and things like that and sort of learn how movies were made. But I was always fascinated with sound. And I, I would I would record these movies with cassette. You know, back in those days, that was the, the best way to save a movie. You know, we didn't have VCRs or anything like that. So you'd listen to movies and sort of recreate them in your head like a radio show. And I started noticing a lot of these sound effects started turning up over and over in different shows. And that was like really a light bulb moment for me that, that you know, it must be somebody's job to save these sounds and reuse them in different movies. I remember uh, very vividly going to the Pirates of the Caribbean ride and hearing uh, the dog whimper with uh, the dog that's holding the key, you know, with the, <laughs> the, 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 the pirates. And I remember that sounds really familiar, and it's – the same sound is used uh, for the dog in Mary Poppins, and that was just that just blew my mind. That okay, somebody saves these, and that sounds like a fun job. So I started to learn about the whole process, and it sort of came out of that. Just I, you know, just just uh, cataloging sounds and and uh, you know finding ways to tell the story with this library of sounds that you make sort of as a palette. Well, you know, and like you said, too, it's, you know, this library of sounds and the sound effects. I mean, I myself am one of those people where I love listening to, uh, you know, movies, things like that. Old time radio shows at Golden Age with, you know, Phil Harris and all those guys. Always good stuff. Now, I guess with that, too, and listening to all these little tidbits and sound effects, I guess with that, how did you, uh, I guess... How did you realize, all right, this is how they're making it? Was there anybody that was that one inspiration, that one person that you were like, I want to be like him? He's kind of like a mentor. 
Well, I mean, you know, to, to stay on topic with your show, of course, Disney was always there. And there was this guy named Jimmy McDonald, who was the head of the, the sound department at Disney for many, many years. Um, I mean, I was a fan of Warner Brothers cartoons, too. There was a guy named Treg Brown over there. But Jimmy and Treg, they both had very different approaches to cartoons. Uh, Treg over at Warner Brothers would record real sounds out in the real world and sort of juxtapose them in the cartoon world. They did that with Disney, too. But Jimmy did something brilliant uh, coming out of uh, out of a music performing uh, career just before he he went to Disney. He he was a he he was a percussionist on the the uh, the Dollar Steamship lines back in the 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 twenties and thirties, I believe. And he uh, he he made all these little percussion props and you know every drum drum people they have a kit of all these little things that they've collected over their career and he brought that to Disney and and that same approach where he would if he needed a particular sound he would actually create a prop that would make that sound you know you'd crank this and it would be the sound of a train or you'd blow into it this way and it would make a, a buzzing insect and uh it, it really added to the whole the 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 signature of the Disney cartoon sort of giving it this sort of fanciful kind of thing, but with a performance side to it. You know, there was always him and, and his team performing these things and recording them custom to each cartoon. And that that's where a lot of the magic comes from in the, the sound for, for the Disney projects. Well, definitely. You know, and there's sound plays such a big role in so many different things, especially with sci-fi. And I know you have a great connection with sci-fi as well, with your father and whatnot. And of course, you know, I mean, come on, Robbie the Robot, uh, you know, things like that are just awesome. I mean, is sci-fi one of those things where you're like, oh my gosh, there are so many sound effects that you could just, you could live from, especially even with things like Star Wars and you name it. Oh, sure. Well, well, you know, none of that stuff exists and it all has to be created from scratch. And so you, you, you go and you build a library of things that you think you can use for spaceships and things like that. Another hero of mine is uh, Ben Burt, who became a friend and mentor. He's the guy who made all those Star Wars sound effects. And he spent a year, even before the movie started shooting, collecting elements that he thought could, he could use for all the spaceships. You know, there's the famous story about the, uh, he found an elephant roar in the uh, Fox library that was used for an old Errol Flynn movie, and that became the basis of the TIE fighter sound, which, you know, we're still hearing every day. I mean, ever since Disney bought the franchise, we're, you know, he, hearing those legacy sounds over and over, it's a real testament to how, how well they, they, were created and, and how much they stuck with those characters and they, you know they continued to tell the stories. Well, definitely, you know, and you know, and like I said too, of course, you know, it was one of those things where you know you had that connection, of course, with your father and whatnot. So, do you ever feel like this is just like a legacy that he kind of opened up this world to you that's been passed down now? Kind of. I mean, I you know, I, I grew up um, watching these science fiction films because Dad was a, a writer and consultant, and and he would he was the guy that you'd hire to read a script about some science fiction film and he'd come in and say, well, you know, this, this will be possible in the future and this might not be and that sort of thing. He was, he was trained as a physicist. He went to Caltech. So he knew all that, all that sciencey stuff. And, uh, okay. he, he got, he, he loved films. That was his passion. Uh, and so he sort of combined the two, the two things. Uh, so I, I grew up being exposed to all that stuff and going to meetings and seeing all these films and, you know, going to the very early film conventions in the early seventies. My father actually helped organize one of the first uh, science fiction uh, marathons at Filmex back in, I think it was 75. Uh, and I, I, I watched 
science fiction films for 24 hours that weekend. That was pretty crazy. <laughs> so yeah, so it was definitely it's definitely a big influence. Like films like Forbidden Planet, like you say, with Robbie and the War of the Worlds, the George Powell War of the Worlds. All those sounds were you know created from scratch. And, uh, yeah, it's very much an influence. I, it, it's interesting how back then there wasn't as much uh, literature on sound as there is now. Now there's a lot of stuff because, you know, everyone's, you know, buying all these electronic editing systems and things like that. And you know, uh, there's such a big interest in it. Back then it, it, you sort of had to really dig for it. There wasn't as much media out there that we could find all these all the information from. Uh, and, you know, the, the, I think the Star Wars films really had a big influence on getting the word out on, on filmmaking. Well, Disney, too, even before, you know, with the wonderful world of Disney and all the great shows he did. Like, there was that great documentary he did on 20,000 Leagues, where he showed all the secrets of how the film was made. And, and George Lucas really ran with that, too, with the Star Wars films. You know, he, he you know, all the, the special features on the DVDs and all that stuff, and he would document everything. And, you know, Lucasfilm has this huge archive of, of all the stuff that he, you know, had the foresight to save. And that really helped sort of get the word out as, as to, you know, the, the wonderful crafts that go into this film. And there's so many of them. The sound is just one of those, one of the pieces of the puzzle. Well, definitely. You know, and you've been part of a lot of different ones, like I mentioned already as well. You know, from Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, Goofy Movie, Brother Bear. I was going to say for a lot of those, I guess, how did you get involved, I guess, well, one... Do you remember that first project you ever worked on? And then how did that roll into, you know, your first Disney project? <laughs> well, I was very lucky in that I started working at a company that uh, was doing all these huge films. Uh, uh, ben Bird, as I said, the Star Wars sound designer, was was a friend and we corresponded. And he went to college with a guy named Richard Anderson, whom he actually uh, shared the Oscar on Raiders of the Lost Ark. And uh, Richard had a shop with uh, two partners, Stephen Flick and Mark Mangini, in North Hollywood. And that's where I started working. I was lucky enough to, to be accepted into their fold. And I ran their library for several years until I sort of branched out into editing and design. I, I still stayed in the library. I, it was really advantageous for someone to sort of stay there who knew everything and knew where all the effects were and how things were you know it, 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 a lot of people consider it an entry level job and it is but if you have so many people turning over so quickly they don't retain a lot of the information so it was nice having someone sort of run the place that that knew the library so well because when a show would come in I would help the picture editor pull a bunch of temporary sounds but I I didn't see them as temporary I wanted to make sure that they got the ones that they needed uh, for the show, so most of the work was done by the time the supervisors came in and, and added so much more, you know, stuff to it. Um, but uh, that, that's that's kind of how I started. I started at this company and sort of worked my way up from there. And the Disney thing, we we were just we, we were very lucky that we we uh, got brought into Disney to do a bunch of their shows, and I, it was it was pretty obvious that I was a Disney squid uh, from everything I listened to in my office. And so I think it was Mark Mangini, who was uh, one of the supervisors on Beauty of the Beast, who basically said, well, why don't you come with me? We're going to spot this thing and, and start working on it. And I, you know, he became aware that I had uh, a pretty good idea of the way Disney films sounded and the library that they had. And so it was quite a treat when Mark and I were invited in to review those original Jimmy McDonald sounds. I just had a, 
I had a field day uh, going through all of Jimmy's old elements and listening to this stuff. And, and we tried to incorporate as much of that stuff as we could in Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and Lion King. Because uh, we really, you know, back in the day, there were only a few cartoon studios, and each of them had a very distinct library. You had Disney, Warner Brothers, as I talked about before. Hanna-Barbera had their effects. And they all had a very, very signature sound to them. And so we tried to stay within the world that we were working with. And so there, there are quite a few Jimmy McDonald sounds in Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin, too. Well, you know, and with that, too, you know, you know, being part of this and adding these sound effects to there, I guess, and, you know, having this, I guess, this pantheon, this library, um, how often do you have to find new effects? And, you know, how many of those end up, you know, you find a new effect for a movie and then, all right, well, that's going to carry over into future. Oh, all the time. Some of them do, some of them don't carry over, that is. I mean, you know, we've, we've, we've heard of some, you know, notorious sound effects that get used over and over for fun. Uh, ultimately, what we're doing is telling a story. And, uh, you try to find the appropriate sounds for that moment. Uh, in a case like Aladdin, uh, especially the scene where the genie appears for the first time, one of our sound designers, a very talented guy named John Pospisil, actually we called him John P because we could never, you know, keep saying popsicle over and over. It starts sounding like popsicle. But anyway, John P, he was uh, this brilliant mad scientist of a sound designer. And all the sounds, when, when the genie first appears and he goes through that whole routine with, uh, uh, you know, all the duplicates appearing, you know, never duplicated and, you know, pulling the thing out of the hat and being in the cube and all those, that quick sequence that goes by in just a couple minutes, John P made all of those sounds from scratch. And uh, it really sort of adds to the whole originality of that whole film, you know, with, with Eric Goldberg's brilliant animation. It just, it just, it just works. It just tells the story and it's all genuine and new. Um, and that, that, that really helps. You could, you could of course go to a cartoon library and pull funny sounds, but this way they're just, you know, when you have the time and the effort and the money, to, to go and make an original track like that, it really helps it a great deal. And, and my supervisor on that show, Mark Mangini, was nominated for an Oscar for sound effects editing for that film. And uh, it's uh, it's no wonder. It was it was a lot of fun. And a lot of imaginative work went into that. Well, you know, when I think of sound effects, too, and I think of so many different movies with extreme sound effects, one of those that comes to mind, of course, is Brother Bear, because it takes place out in nature. I guess, uh, how crazy was it to get the correct sound effects for something you know, for as long and extensive and creative as Brother Bear was. Well, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something. Uh, I I came into it thinking that you know I'll, I'll get the authentic thing, and you know all the birds will be indigenous to whatever area is in the 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 film and that sort of thing. Um, and then I came to learn that 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 really didn't always work. That sometimes the real thing wasn't always appropriate story-wise or emotionally and so i just sort of resigned myself to the fact that you know we're telling a story and sometimes you have to you know give some artistic license there one great story that that i heard from from ben burt on raiders of the lost ark was uh the the one of the first creatures you heard in the jungle is actually a, a willow ptarmigan that's like indigenous to like alaska or something like that <laughs> And it has absolutely no business being in South America. But it was such an interesting sound. It was such an alien sound uh, that it just works. It's just a perfect jungle bird. And, and that, that's a very important lesson. You know, we're telling a story. 
And, you know, something as simple as like the wind around you, you know, it can be, it can be scary. It can be, it can be plaintive. It can be calming. You know, you can have different textures to it that, that help tell the story. And so something like Brother Bear, um, Brother Bear was interesting because we actually went and recorded a bear for that film and, and there was some really good stuff, a lot of interesting growls and grunts and things like that. But I found very early on also with bears that, uh, sometimes they don't have the emotion that, that you need to carry. So you end up supplementing it with other animals. Um, and, uh, you know, making it fierce or, 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 or sad or whatever you need. And sometimes you even you supplement them with, with, uh, human vocals. There's a brilliant guy named Frank Welker, whom we brought in several times to do, uh, animal sounds. He was actually Abu the monkey in, in Aladdin. Uh, and he also did the monkey in Raiders of Lost Ark. He's an amazing mimic and he can do big creatures or small creatures and sometimes we'll get him to help add the emotional content to, to what we're trying to do. Well, you know, and something like that, like you said, he does add that, uh, you know, everybody knows Frank and he does this, you know, like you said, Abu, you know, you look at him and it's like you feel for him. But at the same time, he still comes across as a monkey. Oh, absolutely. No, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. The first time they had him in on Raiders uh, to do that, Mark knew him from Hanna-Barbera. Mark's first job in, in sound was actually at Hanna-Barbera. So he remembered Frank from then and, and brought him in on Raiders and just showed him the footage and he just, he, he looped it. He did it on an ADR stage, just like an actor coming in to replace lines. And, uh, it was just amazing. It just, it just worked perfectly. It sounded like a monkey, but he could control the emotions of it. Even the little, the little Sieg Heil in, in Raiders where the monkey does the little Nazi salute. Frank did the vocal for that. And, you know, Mark had no idea how he was going to get that before Mark came along or Frank came along and did it. <laughs> now, I guess with that, too, you know, so many different elements like that. Now, I'm sure one of them that's slightly different, because, of course, you have Goofy Movie, you have Beauty and the Beast, you have Brother Bear, you know, all these great animated features. But sound effects, like you said, plays a big role in even live action movies. And, of course, you are part of Newsies. How different was it, you know, having to, you know, sound for the real world and actually have it make sense. Well, not just a real world, but that was a period piece too. So you had like horses on cobblestone and things like that. And you can't just go out and record that anymore. You have to either stage it or find an older recording of it. And we have some older recordings of it, but then they suffer from the techniques of the time. There wasn't that kind of technology that we have now. So they sound like old recordings. Um, I mean, of course, a horse on cobblestone is old, but you know what I mean. You know, the, sonically, it sounds like an old recording. Um, so that's that's a big challenge in that sort of thing. Uh, George Simpson, the late, great George Simpson, was one of the supervisors on Newsies, and he was a pleasure to work for. Um, so that, that film was fun just because of the people, and, and Mark Mangini also was in on that one, too. One of the things I remember specifically was they made a big effort to make the singing, the vocals for the songs, actually sound like they were recorded there on set, even though they weren't. They were all recorded in a studio in New York. But uh, they made a big effort. I remember Kenny Ortega was saying that he really hated the sound of the singing in musicals. It just sounds like, you know, all of a sudden they start singing, and it sounds like this beautiful studio recording. And it, you know, as it transitions from the production recording of being on the set, it's just suddenly it's it sounds all perfect and everything. And we really tried 
the blend the two so they they just sounded like he was actually singing there on the street and we had some brilliant mixers at Disney who uh, are really good with dialogue and and good with the reverberation and all that and it really the effort really goes to to them the way that they they finesse those tracks um that was one of the things I remember most about Newsies was just sort of making it sound genuine like that. But that was a fun film. I, Kenny Ortega was really ahead of his time. I mean, he, 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 uh, he really tried to bring the big musical back and he was just, he was just a little ahead of it. I mean, he, he struck it huge with, you know, the high school musical films later, but, uh, that was sort of an early attempt to sort of, uh, bring it back. And I, I wish it did better. I mean, now, now it's a big, it's a cult favorite and you know there's the stage version and all that but back then it didn't do as well as we'd hoped it would um but i i really enjoyed that film that was a sweet movie now when you're working on a lot of these films like you said he was ahead of his time because musicals are always a fun one to be part of of course and of course anything you do at disney is always a fun musical now that's going to bring us to one of the big blockbusters of course and that resurgence in disney and the lion king uh what was it like being part of a film that kind of set this whole new generation of uh, Disney fans out there. I mean, at the time, I was already in my 20s, but it, 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 you know, most people, they remember this as like their first film that they ever saw in theaters. Well, that one has a very special place in my heart because even though I'd been working on several uh, Disney films, that's the first one that I actually got a screen credit on. We, the, 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 big, the, big, the big reward there was getting my name up there. Even though I'd, I'd done plenty of work on the earlier films, um i was i was i was thrilled to actually get some recognition on that one i was i i really i was still working as a librarian sound librarian at that point and which which is a real tricky job especially on something like uh, lion king where you have all these different animals from all the, you know that area uh and and getting getting them right getting them to sound genuine and and new and fresh and all that and all, we did I remember Mark Mangini uh, created the the sound effects tracks for the opening sequence, the whole the whole opening, a uh, circle of life. We did that really early because um, <clears throat> Disney wanted it for uh, a trailer. They wanted the first the teaser trailer to be the opening sequence, which I thought was a brilliant idea. Um, but it meant we had to rush out that 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 first sequence. And Mark did an amazing job, and we tracked. So many different animals uh, down. Uh, there was a company in, Cine, in in London called Cine Sound that had some amazing recordings. They'd worked with uh, some nature documentaries and things like that, and just had a brilliant collection of of um, animals from that area. So we used a lot of that stuff. The one that got a, a lot of people nervous because they weren't sure it was right was the zebras, because zebras have a very strange sound. You know, you look at a zebra and you think, oh, he's going to sound like a horse. But they have this sort of strange sort of hooting kind of sound. And when you hear them, um, you know, against the image of an actual zebra, it, it something about it seems odd, but they were completely authentic. We made sure that we got real zebra sounds. Uh, and all the birds, too. I, I can't remember which bird it was in Lion King, but there was one bird that we didn't have very many. We had an authentic squawk for it, but we only had a couple of them. And so I had to cheat and, like, repitch it and, and lengthen it and do all these digital things that I had never done before because this was a very early digital ed editorial thing for us. Um, but I remember I remember making different versions. I, 
I think it's I, it might be the buzzards that are or the 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 predator birds that are circling above Simba when he's out in the desert. I think that was it. And and I sort of made variations of that same that same damn squawk, and we reused it over and over because I cheated in that that instance. That, that's one story that comes to mind. But Lion King was a lot of fun. I really I enjoyed I enjoyed working on that a lot. Well, you know, and like you said, it's one of those where it means something to you as well. And of course, being part of all of these, you know, you're touching people's lives because sound is something that it's much like, you know, it's almost like really well done advertising or photoshopping where if you did your job right, it's seamless and it almost goes unnoticed. But if it was missing, you would notice. Yeah, that's it's, you know, I call it one of the invisible arts. You know, yeah, if we're telling our story and you buy it and you believe it, then you don't really think about it. I mean, obviously, in an animated feature or a science fiction film, Part of your mind realizes that none of this exists, so it has to be created. But if the story is good and you're involved with the characters and all that, then you just you just buy it. And and it, it is it is amazing the legacy of these films and how far they reach everyone and all that because you know we're a bunch of guys working in little dark rooms and we see these images over and over and we spend you know sometimes up to a year working with them and we sign all of our you know, non-disclosure agreements, so we can't really talk about it to anyone or show them or anything like that. And so we're sort of in this world just by ourselves for months and months. And then suddenly, you know, there's a period where it's done and we don't think about it for a while. And then a few months later, the entire world is singing these songs. You know, you walk into a supermarket and they're playing a song on the speakers that you heard in your office over and over, you know, the, the previous year. <laughs> it's, it's a very odd feeling. It's very strange. It's very surreal. But uh, but it's really fun, and it's really gratifying seeing everyone's reaction to the, the finished product. Well, you know, and, and speaking of that, too, because, you know, like you said, you, you work on these films, and then, you know, a year later it finally comes to light. Have you ever created an effect or a sound or been part of it or editing? And, you know, finally a year later you're watching the film, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's what that sound was for. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I'll I'll be flipping on TV, and I'll hear a line of dialogue or a sound effect or something. The, uh, on a project that I worked on, and I'll stop for a moment. And oh yeah, that was fun. That was pretty good. The, there's one story though. It's it's not Disney related, but it sort of is is on topic for what you're asking. One of the the great I, I do vocal effects too. I perform voices and do vocal effects for certain things. A lot of them I can't talk about um, because they're proprietary things and things like that. But there are a few that I can, and one that I'm most proud of. Uh, I was. Uh, on the team that did the sound for some of the early, uh, some of the uh, 90s Coca-Cola commercials. And I ended up doing the voice of the, the Coca-Cola polar bear, uh, which was a, a creation by a, a CG firm called Rhythm and Hughes. And they did the, the, the first Coke uh, commercial in like 91, I think it was. And it was another case where I'm getting bear sounds from libraries and recording bears and nothing worked emotionally. So that for that last moment when he holds up the Coke bottle, it's just me pitched down a little going, and uh, that that was it. And, you know, again, it was a situation where we're, you know, we're working late at night and trying to rush this thing out and you, you kiss a goodbye and, you know. You, you don't think about it. And then it starts playing on TV over and over. And I, I, I remember watching it, you know, that summer, does, seeing this commercial go by. And, oh, that's neat. That's my commercial. But it wasn't until a few months later, we were working on a, another film, a baseball film. I can't remember 
what it was. Maybe it was Little Big League. I'm not sure. But uh, we sent a recordist to go to Dodger Stadium to record um, a baseball game. And he, he put, like, four microphones at different places around the crowd. So he had this quadraphonic recording of, of crowds. And he let it roll through the entire game. So he gave me the, the recording at the end of the day. And I had to go and catalog all the different reactions. You know, at, at seven minutes and 20 seconds, the crowd swells. And, at, you know, eight minutes and 10 seconds, they boo. You know, that kind of thing. So that we could find all these reactions and, and use them in the film. Well, when it came to the, uh, the, the middle of the game when they have the break or something, I'm not a sports guy, I don't know what these things are called. When they had, they had a break in the middle of the game, they would show commercials on the big diamond vision. And so I'm hearing these commercials go by and the crowd is just chatting and, you know, talking, this is the murmur of crowd. But all of a sudden I hear a really familiar sound and I realize that the commercial that's playing is the Coca-Cola polar bear commercial. And I'm listening to the crowd because that's what I'm supposed to do. And the crowd, like, really got hushed while this commercial was on. And at the very last moment when the bear holds up the, the bottle and goes, hmm, the entire collective audience all went at the same time, ah, and hundreds of thousands <laughs> of people reacting to this, the, the sound that I made. And that's, that's the moment it hit me. Because I, I was hearing this reaction from all these thousands of people at once. And, you know, when you're at home watching the commercial, you know, it doesn't mean anything. It's just, oh, yeah, hey, look, that's pretty cool. But hearing this sort of collective reaction of all these people, that's when it really hit me. that, Oh, my God, people are, like, seeing this. That's that's pretty damn cool. <laughs> so that's I think that answers your, your question. That's the, one of those instances where it really, you know, it, you, you realize how many people these things touch uh, just when they're released out there into the world. Well, definitely. You know, and like I said, you know, sound is one of those things, too, where it's touching so many people's lives and so many different things. And of course, you know, the one thing that I know you didn't create, but everybody knows, and I'm sure you could write a book about this from being asked about it a million times, of course, is the infamous scream that, uh, well, I know about, but for any of our listeners out there, why don't you clue them into as to, you know, the history of this crazy story once again? You know, it's, I, I've sort of stopped talking about it, but I said, you know, if somebody asks me, I'll feel obligated to talk about it, but I've sort of stopped talking about it too, because it's, it's been sort of <laughs> official, it's been officially retired by a certain franchise already, so I feel to honor that. I, I, I've sort of stopped talking about it. But you've asked, I will answer. In 1951, there was a Western called Distant Drums. And there was a scene, it, was, it took place in the um, uh, the Florida Everglades. And uh, there was a scene where this uh, one soldier is bitten and dragged underwater by an alligator. And they needed... Uh, a scream for that because wasn't one wasn't recorded or it wasn't good or for whatever reason, and so several actors who would come in to do post uh, sounds, post vocals for the film. One of them, and we believe it was Sheb Woolley who would gain notoriety later for the Purple People Eater song. Uh, it performed these screams for that guy getting bitten by an alligator. And they were used in the film. They used a couple places in the film. And they get logged into the Warner Brothers Sound Effects Library. 
and they were used again in a 1953 film called Charge of Feather River. And this 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 time the scream was actually given to a character who had a name. Before it was just a nameless soldier, but in, in Charge of Feather River, it's a guy named Private Wilhelm who he gets an arrow in his leg and lets out the scream. Well, it, these screams sort of got used over and over and over again within the Warner Brothers films in all these old westerns. Uh, cut to 1975, when young Ben Burt is doing research for Star Wars, collecting sounds from all the different studios that he thinks he could use for spaceships and things like that. He finds the scream, and he remembers it from his youth. He went to college with uh, Richard Anderson, who I, I spoke of before, a guy that I work with. Um, they remembered it from all their old favorite westerns at Warner Brothers. And so he pulled it from the library. And he used it in Star Wars for one of the stormtroopers falling. Um, and he decided that he was going to use that as sort of his personal sound signature. And it, it ended up in all the Star Wars films and all the Indiana Jones films. Well, when he and I started corresponding, I, I knew about the screen because I'd heard it over and over. It was in an old Warner Brothers film that I liked called Them with Giant Ants. You know, the, the, the giant, yeah, it, and there's like eight Wilhelms in that, in that film. It's like one of the records, I think. James Arness, I think, when he dies, or James Whitmore, when he dies, he's throttled by an ant and he lets out like three Wilhelms in a row. But, uh, anyway, I sort of started maintaining a list of all the uses of the, all the films that this film, the screen was in. And, uh, just just for my own research, you know, being a sound effects nerd and all that. And Ben helped me compile the list. And Richard Anderson used it in quite a few films. He did, too. It's in Poltergeist. And Ben and Richard used it both in Raiders. And uh, this this list started getting longer and longer and longer. Well, in the 90s, when the Internet came along, I had a history website, a film history website, that I posted the list on. And then later in 2001, I wrote the sort of definitive history of the scream and, and, and all the usage that I could remember and all the editors that have used it. And that's kind of when the dam broke. People started really noticing this scream and a lot of other sound editors started using it. And it's been in like 300 films now. But, uh, it's, it's in Beauty and the Beast. It's in Aladdin. I think we tried to get it in Lion King. I think it, it's, 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 uh, hard to hear, but I think it's when everybody goes running from Pumbaa when he uh, <laughs> lets out lets out some gases. Um, I'm trying to think, it's it's certainly in Goofy Movie, and uh, I, I'm really embarrassed by it being in Goofy Movie because it's in the middle of a big song and it really is loud and obnoxious. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's in there. But it, it, they just recently announced, because apparently Ben Bird is no longer part of the Star Wars franchise, and it was really his his baby. I actually called him and apologized to him for turning it into a cult, because I think really reporting about it online sort of got it uh, more notoriety. I, in Ben's words, I started a cult. And... <laughs> um, yeah, they he, they kind of retired it because Ben Ben has sort of moved on from Star Wars, and it was really his thing. So they're they're using other effects now. I remember Ben telling me of another scream that he started using in some of his films, and he took me aside and he said, "Now, if you write about this one, I will kill you." So I haven't admitted to what it was yet, <laughs> but but I will say that they love they love all those classic effects, and they still sneak a bunch in. But you probably won't be hearing that 
infamous scream in any Star Wars film anytime soon. Well, you know, and it's one of those things, like you said, where, you know, people start to pay attention, notoriety, whatnot, but... It is one of those things like people like myself who love sound, who listens to movies for enjoyment. I've always picked up on a lot of these things and I'd point it out to people and they thought I was crazy. And, uh, you know, when, when you write about it, I'm like, see, it's validation. <laughs> well, it, I try to say, I try to balance it by saying, you know, as I started uh, at the beginning of this interview, I, my first realization is a lot of these sounds get used over and over, and there are actually quite a few sounds that get used even more than Wilhelm did. I mean, they're still using some of the old ricochets from the old westerns. Um, there was a, a, a door close that was recorded for Marcus Welby back in the 50s on TV that I, I'm still hearing it occasionally. It's a stocky old door close. But no, we reuse sounds all the time. Uh, nothing. Uh, a sound designer uh, acquaintance of mine was famous for saying that nothing gets older than a new sound. Nothing gets older as quickly as a new sound, and uh, it's true. And you have people who who have made careers over uh, building new libraries and selling them commercially. And you know, after a few years, you start recognizing those sounds over and over, and you have to start fresh. It's always good to go out and build your library and record new things and keep it fresh and all that. But it is fun to sneak in a few classics every now and then. I, I always try to get one of Jimmy McDonald's sounds in every show that I do because he recorded so many different things and they have such a distinctiveness to it. I remember I did a show, I did sound for a show that played at uh, Disney's California Adventure uh, for many years, uh, a, a film about the history of California. And I remember uh, there was an alarm clock that uh, this this woman who represented Rosie the Riveter, um, when she gets up in the morning, she she slams this alarm alarm clock after it rings. And I remember I found Jimmy McDonald's alarm clock just worked perfectly. I mean, it was the right the right time period of a clock. It had the right ring to it, and it had a good slam when it was turned off. And I cut it in, and it just worked perfect. And that was just a very it just it made me smile that I got one of Jimmy's sounds in a Disney film that's playing in one of the parks. You know, those little moments are fun. And you know, if you pick a sound that helps tell the story and isn't obtrusive or anything like that and isn't jarring from the moment, which Wilhelm, I'm afraid, in a lot of cases has sort of become. But if you can do it, if you can do it subtly like that, um, it's it's a fun little moment for you that you can sort of keep to yourself and sort of a personal little moment that you can have with the work. Well, definitely, you know, and since you, you know, since you love sound and things like that as well, you know, like I said, I'm a big fan of sound, of course, you know, I, I mean, and I'm not just saying that because you're on the phone. I just, I really enjoy it. Um, I, I'm one of those guys where I revel in sitting here looking at sound waves all day. But, uh, you, you know, with that, though, with all the new uh, movies and sounds, is there any project out there, a movie you've seen in the last year where you weren't part of it, but you were like, Wow, the sound on that is amazing. Like myself, I, for me, it was The Greatest Showman. I, I recently, I was watching that, and I'm like, the sound on here is amazing. Yes, that was very, very good. Um, all the Marvel films are consistently really good, and I know a lot of the guys who worked on them. Um, like I just, I just recently, finally got around to seeing Black Panther, and uh, it's just, it's just brilliant. I mean, I know some of the guys who recorded some of that stuff fresh. You know, from scratch for that film, and it really does it 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 really does show they really do a remarkable job. All the production credits on those films are always top of the line. But uh, well, definitely. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, all that stuff. I, uh, my friend who just won the Oscar for sound editing, Richard King on Dunkirk. Um, there, there are moments in there where it's really loud and it's kind of, it's hard to discern what's going on sound wise. But then again, so was the war it was representing. Uh, so I, I think that it did, it did a marvelous job for what it was. And there is a lot of great texture in it too. A lot of great subtle moments also. Um, it's a, I just, uh, you know, I, I love listening to movies. I love watching them and then listening to them and paying attention to them. You know, hopefully the first time when you sit down and watch it, it doesn't, I don't think in technical terms. I just want to be able to enjoy a movie like everyone else. But afterwards, you know, it's fun to just listen to it and see how much sound really has, has a part in, in telling the story. Well, definitely. You know, and like you said earlier on, you know, when you, you, we first started having you for this conversation, you were mentioning how, you know, early on, there wasn't that, uh, that I guess, vast library of sound, that vast knowledge where everyone could. You had to dig for it. And that's going to bring us to the Hollywood Sound Museum. Can you let everybody know a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, in the last few years, um, I, I, I've gone independent. I'm not with any one company right now, so I sort of, you know, go where the wind blows. And for the last couple of years, I was trying to think of a way that what would be the best way to share the craft, you know, because I'm always, I, I love talking to people like you about this stuff and sharing the knowledge and all the fun stories and all that. And, and especially now that everything is digital and it's just out there for people to find and grab, but the, but the context, the history is sometimes lost. So I just over lunch with a few friends, we just realized that the sound craft, the people involved in it, we don't really have our own temple. You know, we don't have a place that people can go to to learn specifically about what we do. I mean, of course, there are unions and guilds and there's the Academy Museum that they're building and there's the Grammy Museum and all that, but they aren't specifically for film sound or rather entertainment audio because we want to encompass like radio and video games and that thing too but mostly film so i just i took it upon myself to start making it a, a quest to form the hollywood sound museum we're just now getting our nonprofit status it's still very much in development we're getting ideas together and contributions from people i'm actually picking up a few key items this week uh one of the one of the things that I'm very proud of that uh, that we're going to have in our our collection is uh, two two Oscars that were won by re-recording mixer Bill Varney uh, for two little films that he did, uh, that being Raiders of the Lost Ark and The Empire Strikes Back, and uh, we're we're just collecting all this wonderful stuff to show and and to to tell the story of what we do and share the craft. And there are going to be interactive exhibits where you can. You know, pretend to replace dialogue in your favorite films. Uh, there's going to be a Foley exhibit, which is, which is the art of, uh, recording sounds in sync to picture, like footsteps and things like that. And you'll have a chance to actually do that yourself. Uh, it, if it, if it turns out the way that I envision it, I can die happy. It's going to be a fun place to, to learn about the craft and sort of, uh, shed some light on the, the mystery of, uh, of what we do. Because a lot of people are, are, uh, kind of mystified by it um even 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 filmmakers even producers and directors they don't quite know what we do so it's uh it's always nice to be able to show them uh how how it's done and we'll have a lot of uh really big heavy hitters in the sound world uh, being a part of it 
and uh, and sharing their knowledge. Well, you know, and I think it's one of those things, like you said, too, where it's going to be something where you can share and exploration and, of course, creating something that's going to have this lasting legacy, at least, you know, for future generations. Now, we know you're busy. We don't want to keep you going too long here because I could be talking sound forever and ever. But... In closing here, for everybody whose lives you've touched, you know, even though that's the the unsung craft, you know, the unseen, you know, it's one of those that if it was missing, we would notice. But from, you know, all the people whose lives you've touched over the years, is there any final words you'd like to leave out there for all those listening in? Oh, gosh, just keep listening and keep enjoying the work. You know, the, we make this stuff for you guys. Um You know, as long as there's an audience, we'll still tell stories. I mean, that's what it's all about. It's it's sharing part of your day. It's sharing, you know, the history. It's sharing imagination. My uh, my friend Steven Soderbergh, who uh, won the Oscar several years ago for directing the film Traffic, uh, still has given what I feel is is one of the best Oscar speeches ever. And he basically says um, he shares a sentiment that I've always shared. Um, he didn't thank any any of his friends or people who worked on the film or anything like that. He did generally in the sense that he directly thanked everyone who spends part of their day creating, telling a story, sharing their experience. And I, I think that that's, that's more important. A world without art would be unlivable. And, you know, it's wonderful people come and go and enjoy our films and see them and share that. But also go out and create your own stories and share them with your friends and audiences. And, you know, it, it, we live in a wonderful age where everyone has a movie studio in their back pocket, essentially. You can, you can make an entire feature film with your phone and get it on the internet, on YouTube or any other platform just in an instant. And, you know, don't be afraid to go out there and just share what you've got in your head with others because it's, it's really, it's it's really what it's all about. It's really about sharing our experience and our lives and our knowledge and sharing the craft. And that's what I'm trying to do with the Sound Museum. And I hope it inspires uh, people to, to do the same with whatever, whatever interests them, whatever their passions are. It couldn't have been said any better. And we know you're busy so much more. And I want to thank that time once again for stopping in. And, you know, everything from Aladdin, Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, Brother Bear, Goofy Movie, Newsies, and so many other credits to your name. Thank you once again, Steve, for stopping in, chatting with us, and, uh, you know, taking this trip down memory lane into the future, the present. And uh, I know, you know, it, it, the Hollywood Sound Museum, I know it's going to go off running, and I know people like myself will be there in hand wanting to check this out right away. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. If people want to learn more about it, by the way, they can go to hollywoodsoundmuseum.org. They can make a donation. They can learn more what we're up up, up to and uh, see our progress, and uh, I hope to see everyone there when it opens soon. Very good. Well, thanks, Steve, once again for stopping in. Thanks, Jonathan. and seize the day Don't be afraid and don't delay Nothing can break us No one can make us Give our rights away Arise and seize the day Join the fray. Send us all and join the fray. Hearts will be righted if we're united. Let us see.
way. Radio fans, it's Jamie and Trisha, and welcome to Magical Munchies, the segment on Diz Radio where we prefer our food Mickey shaped, Mickey shaped, and covered in chocolate. Diz Radio and Disney food fans, we're going to try to do things a little bit differently this week on our segment. Typically, we are very scripted, and with this segment, we're going to try to be a little bit more free from and just have a chat about something we love and we think you love too food. We love all of the food, especially when it comes from Disney, and especially when it's Mickey shaped. And what better way to start this new format than talk about the quintessential Disney food treat, Mickey ice cream bars. They're so good, and they're so chocolatey, and they're so refreshing. So why wouldn't we choose to talk about Mickey ice cream bars? And something interesting about Mickey ice cream bars, Jamie, is that they are not only at every park and almost every resort on Disney World property, they're also on the Disney cruise ships and at every Disney park around the world. And it's one of the only treats that has that widespread of availability. So you can get this treat anywhere in the world. You totally can. You can even get them when you're on the West Coast wandering around Disneyland and looking at Sleeping Beauty Castle. And I've not been to the West Coast wandering around Disneyland. So some people I always see that they say that their process is like, like get a Mickey bar as they're walking down Main Street up to the castle in Disney World. So is that the same in Disneyland? Oh, yeah, for sure. The, I think you would call it the central hub there. Not not sure on the verbiage. So I apologize if I'm offending anybody that's a uh, Disneyland local. But yeah, they definitely have those little food, court, food courts, food carts um, when you first walk in um, underneath the train station. So you can grab them there on your way, on your little stroll down their main street. Well, and I bet our guest this week, Steve Lee, has had a Mickey bar. And then maybe he could be like trying to convince Goofy to do the famous Wilhelm scream while enjoying his Mickey bar. And I'm so happy <laughs> when I saw that because Goofy is, and that scream, it's like childhood. It really is. Oh my God. I used to love those like VHS tapes. There was the one where like Goofy was learning how to dance. And I think like a Mickey ice cream bar is total incentive for that scream to come out. Like just try to take it away. <laughs> I just have this image in my head of somebody just like walking down my street and just like yelling that like when, when you're in the tunnel, so it echoes. <laughs> that was a terrible version. That was that. so good. I was going to try. And then I realized that maybe, maybe I shouldn't try. <laughs> Well, so one of my favorite places to enjoy Mickey bars at Disney World is definitely that walk down Main Street. But actually, one of my favorite Mickey bar moments was getting a Mickey bar while standing in line to see Cinderella at uh, Princess Royal Hall in Magic Kingdom. And inside there, they have all sorts of like portraits of the different princesses, and they also have a couple stained glass windows. And it's like the perfect backdrop for a Mickey bar because it's just this nice contrast of chocolatey goodness and then like fancy princessy stuff, and then your Mickey bar. Though I don't think you could take it in to see the princesses. 
Yeah, that might be a little weird. Like, hey, Punzi, you want to bite on my Mickey bar? <laughs> that she might hit you share. with a frying pan. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that the princesses are allowed to eat. No. No, no outside food. Just no. special princess food. Yes. <laughs> no calorie princess food. Yes. <laughs> so what about you? What's one of your favorite places at either Disney World or Disneyland for a Mickey bar? Well, I'd say... Okay, so this park always has a special place in my heart. So to me, it's still MGM, but it's Disney Hollywood Studios. And I like grabbing it when I first walk in and then eating that as I stroll down towards the Chinese theater and just taking all of like the different windows and how they're decorated for each holiday and going to see um, that really cool Roger Rabbit window. Don't even know if you knew that existed, but um, yeah, just over by Gertie, just taking a little stroll, biting Mickey's ear off. Well, you have to be careful doing that now because you might get get you might get trampled by the first order. Oh, true, true. Yeah, they do that, and it's it's that music is so cool. It's like, ding, ding, and they, they just have a really good beat. It's perfect. Um, so for me, one of my most memorable making our stories was actually just on our trip back a couple weeks ago in March. We took my son Austin for his 18th birthday. Happy birthday, Austin! Yay! Um, and it wasn't like one specific Mickey bar in particular, it was the amount of Mickey bars that my son consumed before like noon. And I don't think we arrived at Magic Kingdom until about 10. So this is over the course of about two hours. So at first it was, there was a cart right outside Haunted Mansion uh, that had him. And the first one was so good, he got a second. So those two, you know, it's almost like he just opens up his mouth and then swallows the whole thing. Um, He's a teenager. They have the uh, metabolism for it. And then we (laughs) were leaving. (laughs) Yeah. We were leaving Haunted Mansion, and he stopped in another cart right in Liberty Square. I got another one. And then, like, as we neared um, Tom Sawyer Island, that's where we were going, there was a cart in there, like, right kind of in this little nook near Splash Mountain. And he got another one. And so that just really, I was just looking, like, holy cow, how are you doing this and where are you putting this? But it was just, like, you know, Disney Breakfast of Champions for <laughs> Mickey Bars. And, like, just bam, 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 right after each other. Yeah, that's, that's... That's quite an accomplishment. <laughs> Way to go, Austin. The I'm, kid, I'm really impressed. The kid likes his sugar. Let's just say that. <laughs> so what about what about your like first Mickey bar? Do you remember the first time you had one? Um, it's I couldn't tell you the time or the location, but I can remember what it tasted like. Like I can remember holding that popsicle stick in my hand and then just the crunch as you bite into it, like of the chocolate, of that frozen chocolate. Well well it's still frozen before the Florida heat really gets it. Yeah. And just the creaminess and just how well it paired with the vanilla and the chocolate. Just, oh, so good. And it's a nice, a little bit more of a bitter, it's like a slightly bitter chocolate. It's more semi-sweet. So for those of you who haven't had the chance to try a Mickey bar, I'm guessing most of the people listening have. But if you haven't, uh, it's not super, super sweet. Um, it, it is a sweet. It's definitely in the sweets category. But uh, the, the chocolate around the outside, like Jamie said, is really nice and really crunchy. And they keep them so cold. I always feel mm-hmm. for the cast members that have to reach in and grab them. Because if, if it's a cast member with glasses, like their glasses, like fog over because of the oh, amount of cold it is. <laughs> those coolers but uh but the the chocolate is more of a semi-sweet chocolate and um and there are 3.3 million mickey bars sold a year at disney world alone oh my gosh well i mean it's a good thing that austin didn't eat three million just saying four quite a few but three million you know he added to that that happy little uh factoid there yes he probably over the course of his disney trips like is added quite a few to that that statistic <laughs> he loves those things uh, i don't remember my first one but i do remember 
I had one back in the 90s, and it was actually a little bit different back then, the way the Mickey bar was. So they didn't have that crunch that we love so much now. It wasn't actually chocolate-coated. Um, so, you know, me with my big frizzy hair and my Coke bottle glasses, uh, and, you know, trying this Mickey bar. And thankfully, both of us have changed since then. <laughs> and the Mickey bar back then was actually like a chocolate ice cream. The ears on the top were a chocolate ice cream. And then it was vanilla for the face. And then there was a little bit of chocolate ice cream for like the eyes and the mouth. That's um, right. Yeah. So it, <laughs> it taking me back. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of um, like if on the ice cream truck, they have one that's something kind of like that where it's more of the face, but it's not dipped the way that mm-hmm. they are now. That's crazy. I totally forgot they used to be like that. Just, you know, how I'm trying to forget my awkward years as well. <laughs> Let's just say there's there's photos that exist of me and I think in like this giant oversized shirt that has horizontal stripes and it's just it's awful. My hair is poofy and frizzy. I have braces and glasses and yeah, it was it was a sight to behold. I I don't let people see those Disneyland photos. <laughs> that often. Gotta love eighth grade, right? I have one with Chewbacca that I posted on my Instagram because I, you know, I love myself that much. <laughs> I was like, I, I, can, I can take it. But yeah, and there was, there was like, you couldn't tell the difference between Chewbacca's fur and my hair. And oh! It was like, it was, it was pretty epic. I'm going to have to check that out. <laughs> so, and for those folks out there, there's also, we know there's dietary restrictions and things like that. So don't worry if you want a Mickey bar fix and you can't do dairy or sugar because Disney has got you covered. And there, we each have our top three dairy and sugar-free ways to enjoy a Mickey bar. So my first is the Mickey ice cream plush. It's this whole line of uh, Mickey food plushes. They're, they're on the smaller side. And... They're so super cute. And this one, it has a little smiley face on it, and it has like a little bite out of the ear, which is kind of the iconic shape that you see with the Mickey bar. And I think, Jamie, you have the Dole Whip one, right? Totally do. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so what's one of yours? Um, I'd have to go with the pins because they're nice and shiny. I mean, don't bite it because you don't want to chip a tooth. I wouldn't recommend that. But you can wear those Mickey ice cream bars with pride. Absolutely. I think it's funny mm-hmm. that there are like boxers and clothing items with a Mickey ice cream bar on it, those have always been kind of a crack-me-up type of thing. Mm-hmm. I do enjoy the shirts with them on it, though. I think those yeah. are fun. Yeah, the I, I got one that's I'd rather be snacking, and it's got one on there. Yes, which I may need to buy now. Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> I do like the dog toys, though. Those are really funny. The little squeaky ones. I think there's a waffle, too. Oh, yeah, and they have a turkey leg. Yes, yes. But I have to say my, my favorite Mickey bar thing is post-its because I'm kind of, an, I, I love my post-its. And so it's so much more fun to write little notes on post-its when they're shaped like a Mickey bar. Oh my God, it totally is. Totally. <laughs> the snack post-its that you got me for Christmas are my favorite things ever. <laughs> ever. Work is just more fun when it's Mickey it really food. Is. <laughs> <laughs> and you can actually get those post-its. Um, I actually, you know, I don't think you can get them outside of the park. So you have to go to the park or have a hookup in the park to get you those post-its. They're on the Disney Parks app or the Shop Parks app, but they're no, they're put as in-store only. Womp, womp. Womp, womp. Yeah, so you got to fill up when you're, you got to stack up when you're at the park. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you all you D-heads for taking the stroll down Mickey Ice Cream Lane with us. We really appreciate it. And I could really go for some of that crunchy, chocolatey, vanilla-y on a stick goodness right now. 
Yeah, he doesn't go to like a Dairy Queen. It's not as good, but no, it's chocolate on a stick. And you can read more about Mickey ice cream bars and other Mickey-shaped treats in my new book, Tasting Magic from A to Z. You can just search for it on Amazon, or you can contact me for a signed copy. And when I'm not chowing down a Mickey ice cream, I can be found at Instagram at NotSoEvil underscore Disney Stepmom, or on Facebook at Author Trisha Dobb. And you know what? You can also check me out on Instagram. I am Lilo underscore the Lost Princess, and you can join me for every Foodie Friday. And if you need to get an extra foodie fix in there, I'm also a brand rep for Luxaloom Candles. So hop on over, check them out. You can fill your room with that delicious sense of Mickey waffles, because if you can't eat it, why not make your room smell like it? So they're at uh, L-U-X-I-L-L-U-M-E dot com. So that's Luxaloom.com. And you can also shoot me an email at jamie at disradio.com. So tell me more about your favorite Mickey-shaped food items that you'd love to shove in your face. And those candles smell amazing. So, you know, you need you need maple syrup scent in your life. Everybody does. You totally do. The best ones smell like syrup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Zero calories. <laughs> yes, yes. That See, another sugar-free, dairy-free way diet diet friendly way to enjoy the sweets of Disney World. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you all so much for joining us and don't forget to try everything. Surprised to see me here instead of Santa Claus? Well, I can't say that I blame you since it is Christmas here. Me? Just call me GB for now. Yep, I'm back in time many Christmases ago. Right there in that very house is where our story begins, the story of the first Easter rabbit. And you know, we came within a hair's breadth, if you'll excuse the pun, of never having an Easter rabbit at all. Don't remember, do you? You know all about Christmas and Christmassy things. Like how Santa came to be. Frosty and Rudolph who guided the sleigh. But how about that rabbit who comes every Easter day? This is Joaquin Gray III from Herbie Goes Bananas, and you're listening to Disney On Demand.
Hey, D-Heads, you're listening to Disney On Demand. Wow, it's dark in here. Wow, and now it's Finally, too bright. Taking you on those magical journeys from your lifetime of Disney. Kari, Kari McKean. It's like Kari only with a K instead of a C and an A instead of an E and only one R and an I instead of an I. It's Disney On Demand. Well, it started out like any normal sitting gig, you know, with the reassuring of the parent and all. Here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. I just wish I could forget the whole thing. You will, kid. You will. All right, all of you D-heads, so I am back, and I hope you enjoyed this week's show. It was a fantastic romp, and I want to extend a very special thank you once again to the very talented, the sound man himself, Steve Lee, for stopping in here this week and sharing all kinds of great stories, fun, and insights into all those little nuances that add the magic to the movies. Definitely check out everything he's been part of, from Lion King, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, Nightmare Before Christmas, Newsies, you name it. Check out everything as well as the Sound Museum. So thank you, Steve, once again for stopping in and celebrating Easter with us here at the show. I'd also like to thank the D-Team. That's right, of Aaron, Dominic, Frank, Trisha, and Jamie all stopping in here this week with their signature segments. Without you, there would be no show. It'd be nothing more than me rambling week in and week out every single week here at the show, and that would get old very, very fast. So remember, you can always connect up with the D-Team on our official website at DizRadio.com as well. Just go to the D-Team page, drop them a line, and wish them a happy Easter. And most of all, thank you, the D-Heads. You are the reason we come back at you every single week for almost eight years, 209 shows. We continue to come back every single week and are truly humbled by all the support and so much more from all of you D-Heads. You truly do make the magic happen. So thank you, the D-Heads, for supporting us and allowing us to bring this gem to you every single week. Now, next week, we are kicking off into April. That's right, we are well into April, and next week is a very special show. We officially turn eight years old here at Diz Radio. Yes, eight years officially next week. With that show, we are eight years old, and we have a lot of fun things lined up. So before I clue you in as to who's going to be stopping in here next week to help us celebrate our eight-year anniversary, I do want to give you all the different ways you can stay connected here at the show. And first and foremost, you can always visit our official website at dizradio.com, D-I-Z-Radio.com. There you can find our full list of past shows, the complete podcast archives, our latest news blogs, and more right there on our official website at dizradio.com, D-I-Z-Radio.com. You can also connect up with us all over the social media outlets on Facebook at facebook.com slash dizradioshow. That's D-I-Z Radio. S-H-O-W. You can also join our D-Wire Disney discussion group on Facebook as well. And let's not forget, get healthy, get mentally fit, get physically fit, and more with the Diz Ninjas. And you can just search Diz Ninjas, D-I-Z Ninjas, and find us on Facebook as well. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and many other places. Just search Disney Blue, and that's B-L-U, Diz Radio, D-I-Z Radio, or Disney On Demand, all of which are going to help you find our fun, unique, quirky, magical different kind of Disney show. And remember, if you just can't wait, you need the show instantly. You need it in your ears. You're waiting to hear our celebrity guests, the D-Team, and more. All you have to do is go to iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Search Disney Blue, Disney On Demand, or Diz Radio. You can find the show right there. Hit subscribe and get the latest shows as they get released from your Android, your iPhone, the tablet of your choosing, you name it. You can listen to the shows instantly as soon as they get released. And if you can't remember any of these links and more, Just go to DizRadio.com and find all of these right there. Now, next week, as I mentioned, show number 210. We're officially into April, and it is our official eight-year anniversary here at Diz Radio. Yes, eight years ago next week, 
we officially launched off this crazy magical whirlwind of a show. And next week, because I always call it a show, I don't always call it a podcast, I call it a show. Imagine it as the greatest show on earth. Imagine it full of fun, spectacle, colors, wonder, imagination, and all kinds of different things. And think of somebody that helms all of that, somebody that makes all that come together. I'm going to leave it at that. Very vague and very, very familiar, all in the same. So until next week, all of you D-heads, as I always say, slow down, take time, and never neglect family for business. And this weekend, celebrate Easter, have fun, go on those Easter egg hunts, and just make the family time and make the memories. So until next week, all of you D-heads, have a fantastic weekend. And once again, happy, happy Easter. With all the frills upon her, you'll be the grandest lady in the Easter parade. I'll be all in clover, and when they look you over, I'll be the proudest fella in the Easter parade on the avenue. Fifth Avenue The photographers will snap us And you'll find that you're In the road to grab your I could write a sonnet About your Easter bonnet And of the girl I'm taking To the Easter parade On the avenue, Fifth Avenue, the photographers will snap us, and you'll find that you're in the road to Gravior. I could write a sonnet about your Easter bonnet. And of the girl I'm taking to the Easter Thank you for tuning in to Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. The content and thoughts expressed are those of the show and not the Disney company. Now go on and relive the magic, memories, and appreciation from your lifetime of Disney. See you real soon.